The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Copservations, a podcast show that examines police work through the eyes of the very men and women who do the job. I'm your host, Rob Lerner, and we've got a great show lined up for you. Our guest today is Gary D., a retired deputy sheriff and we'll be talking about the dangers of police work. Everybody knows police work inherently is dangerous, but sometimes things happen that are unexpected and unplanned for. Uh, this is the inaugural launch of our podcast. I want to tell you a little bit about myself and the premise of the show. At first, we'll be coming to you from this awesome new podcast studio every week located inside the awesome Broadcast Beat Studios. And just to give you an idea of what we're doing on this episode, Today I'll be hosting by myself with the help of the creators and producers of the show, Danny and Tony, hey. who also happen to be friends and co-workers of mine. Hey Danny, how's it going? Hey Rob, how you doing? Good. I uh, just started my 36th year in law enforcement, um, and it's probably the fastest 36 years of my life. Uh, Danny, how long have you been in law enforcement now? I'm on my 22nd year. Yeah. That's why I remember when I entered the academy in 1984, they told me it was going to be the fastest 20 years of your life. And they were absolutely right. And, and now... You turned it into 36. I, I turned it into 36. I was never doing a day past 20. <laughs> you know. And uh, I can honestly say that there's never been a day where I said I hated my job and didn't want to go to work. It was always very entertaining. A uh, bunch of great guys. It's, it's camaraderie that uh, most people can't appreciate it unless they're involved in some, right. something like this, whether it's the military or law enforcement. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic career. I uh, just want to explain a little about the show and, and what it's about. Observations came about uh, from a book that I was writing back in 2004. And basically, the premise of the book was not, uh, I'd say it wasn't original. I was interviewing police officers and I was getting stories because one thing I, I found out over the years that people were fascinated by two things, it's cops, cops and gangsters. And anytime a mm -hmm. bunch of cops were around telling stories, 
you get somebody that would be standing by and you can tell they were always straining to kind of hear what was going on. Um, so what I would do is when I was working, I, I was assigned to the airport and I used to interview all the guys I was working with and we would discuss all different topics um, from homicides to robberies to uh, dealing with death, uh, d dealing with the mentally ill people. Right. You know, some of the stories were hysterical, some of them were heart-wrenching and some of them were horrifying. And even being in police work for so many years, when I would talk to some of the officers and they would tell me their uh, near-death experiences, uh, I could a actually feel it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, over the years, there were people that I knew that were shot and people that were killed. And they say it comes with the territory. You know, it's, it's part of being a police officer and what you come to expect. And I, I notice a lot of us keep things inside and we don't talk about it. Right. Um, we don't like to bring it home and share it with our families. And uh, a lot of guys wind up suffering from PTSD. Yeah, well, uh, they need to be better about getting help for that. Yeah, especially if you, you see the news now, there's been an uh, alarming rate of police suicides. And it's not specific to age or experience on the job. You have guys with only a few years on the job that wind up killing themselves mm -hmm. and guys who've been through so much more that have experienced the same thing. Even guys after they've retired. Yeah, and they can't. They can't even cope with their retirement. Yeah, they can't adjust. There was a uh, chief in back in New York City. I can't remember. I think it was a chief silk that was being forced out because of his age, and he uh, recently had uh, committed suicide. And a lot of people f thought that it was because this is what he was. This is what his life was about. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what he did. It's what uh, who he was. Um, and hey, you know, there's there's more to life than law enforcement than a career. Yeah, oh yeah. You, you put in your time, and then it's time to enjoy life, retire, enjoy the kids, the grandkids, and travel. So. Gotta have a plan. Yes, you, you do. Gotta have a plan when you're on your way out. Absolutely, you do. Uh, you know, tonight's topic, we're gonna talk about the dangers of police work. Uh, and like I said earlier, everybody knows it's inherently dangerous. You know, when everybody's running away with the, from the guy with the gun, we're the ones that are running towards him. Right. Um, no, it, it's, it's our job to respond to the crimes in progress. And we you don't get to pick and choose what we're going to. Right. So, you know, you get a radio run and you respond. Um, Show me going to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you're prepared to deal with it, you know, what it is, whether it's mentally or physically or both. And, you know, hopefully it's a positive outcome. Tonight we're going to be speaking to uh, Gary D. Gary's a good friend of mine, retired law enforcement officer. Gary, I met Gary back in 2002 at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing over there. And it's funny because when I came to this agency, I had 17 years experience from, from New York. Mm. But Gary kind of took, took me under his wing. And I, every day I went to work, I looked forward to being with Gary. And we would tell stories and everything. And uh, it was pretty good. Gary, uh, you started your police career in 1974. Yep. <clears throat> Way back. Way back when. When the sheriff's office was uh, <clears throat> small, okay. and uh, where you started, where did you start with the agency? Uh, I started in the jail, working in uh, corrections. They call it now. <clears throat> we were called jailers in those days because that's what we too. were. So, I was fortunate though. I only stayed in the jail. When I first got there, I thought it was going to be. Um, I was told by the other guys, "Oh, you're never going to give it to the police academy, pal." Because we've been in here three years and we ain't seen it yet. So I was like, oh, great, you know. But then uh, 
about a month into it, my captain comes to me and says, uh, hey, uh, they're going to send in three people to the police academy. No, four people. So uh, why don't you put in for the interview? I said, nah, nah, are you kidding me? I just got to work here. I've been here less than a month. I don't have a chance. And he said, just put in for a kid. You never know. You know, give you experience anyway. So I put in for it. Next thing you know, I get interviewed. I don't know what I said or did, but the next thing you know, I'm going to the police academy. And all the guys hated me because they'd been waiting there three or four years to go. And uh, next thing you know, a couple months later, I'm in the police academy. So. And then, and then you went to the road. You've had so many different assignments throughout your police career. Yeah, I sure did. I uh, road patrol. I was on the SWAT team. I got on the motorcycle patrol. After that, I went to the detective bureau. And then I went to the organized crime division. And then towards the end, I went to the airport to take it easy. And, and when did you retire from the airport? What, what year was that? 2008. Okay, but you didn't stay retired for very long. <laughs> for not even a month. Right. I went to visit a friend of mine that I was on the motorcycle squad with. <laughs> was a captain at BSO, and he retired. And he went to work as the chief of police in North Palm Beach. And then he went to become the village manager. So one day I'm on my motorcycle, my personal bike, and I'm there riding around. And I thought, well, let me stop in and see him. Next thing you know, he. Next thing you know, he's got me sold. I'm I'm working for him now. You know. And, and how many years did you do with them before you actually packed it in? Seven. Seven. Seven years. And your total amount of time was forty. Forty-one years. Forty-one years. Most most guys are looking to do twenty years and get out. You did two careers. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. I two never looked careers. at it that way, but. Yeah, if you think. And then it. some. With you know, and, it, and it's funny because today it, it's, I feel funny saying it, it's, it's a young man's job. It really is. And, and at 40, it's, it's a young man's job. And you mentally you think you can still do it, but physically you'll get out of a car and, uh, you know, you go to take off if you're chasing something. Next thing you know, you're blowing out a knee or your back or your you shoulder. I pull a muscle in my sleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You get up in the morning. I get up in the morning, I have aches and pains, and I can't remember what I did. I was like, I didn't do anything to hurt me hurt that it's right. just old age creeping up on you well i got i got injured so many times over the years and that i was just my whole body's just racked with still, falling apart now it's just still pains arthritis and oh else god everywhere there. my hands my knees my ankles it's just you name it my hip oh yeah so you know we get back to the dangers of police work and uh, you know, everybody knows the robberies in progress and, and the shootings. They don't realize that some of the most uh, dangerous incidents that we find ourselves in are car stops, domestic violence incidents, uh, and dealing with the mentally ill. It's because you're pulling somebody for a taillight, and unbeknownst to you, they may be wanted out of state on a homicide, or they just killed somebody. And that's what they think you're coming after well, them They for. may just be having that bad day, and you're the straw that broke the camel's back, and they're, they're going to snap on you. Absolutely. And, uh, Gary, you're no stranger to uh, the dangers of police work. No. Um, I know you've had incidents uh, earlier on in your career with the, dealing with the uh, mentally disturbed. You know, can you touch on that? Uh, are you talking about uh, 
table leg incident? Yes, the table leg incident. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> well, it was it was early in my career. I had a couple incidents when I was on road patrol too. I mean, uh, motorcycle squad, but but uh, yeah, I um, I was on road patrol in the Pompano Beach area, and uh, I got dispatched to a uh, what you call you New Yorkers call it EDP. EDP, right here. It's it, a signal twenty. Yeah, signal twenty, emotionally disturbed person. So they dispatched me and two other units, and uh, they told us that uh, there was this crazy guy walking right down the double yellow line of Dixie Highway at 33rd Street and he was throwing rocks at, at uh, red lights and swinging a steel table leg at passers-by and cars and stuff so I went responded to the scene and on the way there there was this guy on the corner of Dixie and Sample he was a retired New Jersey motor cop and he flagged me down he said listen he said Are you going to that crazy guy call I said yeah he said man you got to be careful. He's the craziest I've ever seen. His eyes are bugged out. He's the worst I ever saw in my career. So I knew that this guy was the real deal. So <clears throat> I went to the scene and I pulled up and sure as heck there he was walking down the double yellow line. And uh, I pulled up and kind of he went off the road when I pulled up and I kind of blocked him with my car and I got out and you know how you talk to him at first try to be their buddy and sure. calm him down and so I tried that, and that didn't work. He grabbed the table leg, and he was ready to whack me and took off running. So I got back in my car, and I cut him off again and got out and tried to talk to him. And there was a, there was a wood house on the corner. It was the Sample Road. It was the Sample House, the family. Oh. And, yeah, and the screen door was the old-fashioned wooden screen door with, you know what I'm talking about, wood frame? Sure. They used to screech when, you know, when you opened them and closed them and bang. And, but, I, I, you know, I, he started running from me again, and I went to chasing after him. And uh, um, he started heading right up the sidewalk for the front door. And there was a woman standing in the doorway with an infant in her hands. And I thought, oh, my God, if this guy get, I can't let him get in there. There's no way I can let him get in that house. So <clears throat> I drew my trusty Colt Python and I, I aimed it between his shoulder blades and cocked the hammer back to single fire and I was going to drop him. Even though she was behind me and I felt confident enough that, that I could hit him and not her, and I felt like I didn't have a choice. Sure. I could not let him get in that house. So right at the last second when I was just about to shoot him, he stopped and turned around and he started, come on you MFers, you know challenging us so i put my hammer back down and um went up to him and told him to drop drop the table leg and it was the old-fashioned kitchen table leg like in the old days you remember the steel table legs sure and then it had brackets that went out yeah, and then the, on top it was another one it was like an axe it right. bolted to the table you know this thing was like an axe. the old foam mica top oh my god if he hit me in the head with it it would have been right. it would have killed me don't call so good so um uh two other deputies got there and we kind of surrounded him a little bit and uh, we were all had our guns drawn and telling him to drop the table leg and we're going to shoot you we don't want to shoot you all that kind of stuff you do you know 
we warned him over and over and over and he just kept he was nonstop swinging this thing constantly at us the whole time he never stopped swinging except when he was running and um so at the time i was a kickboxer and i decided if i could do a a good flying sidekick on this guy i could just take him out without you know so i kind of told the other two guys what i was going to do and they kind of knew and uh, i told them to distract him and i started to do the kick and i just about just about to jump in the air and he turned around and saw me and swung this table leg at me and just barely missed my head so next thing you know he takes off running between us and he's headed across dixie highway and he gets right on the double yellow line now the traffic's all backed up there's all these people there watching he gets right on the double yellow line and uh uh, i'm running behind him and i'm just about to reach out and tackle him and all of a sudden he stops and swings it one-armed at me and you know how when you stop real fast your shoes slide on the pavement you know man my shoes slid and i ducked ducked back like this and the table leg went just barely over the top of my head wow and uh I drew my gun and I told him, drop it, this is your last warning. And he, he came right up over the top of me. He was going to come down, straight down on me. I had no, nothing else. So I shot him twice upward from here. I didn't even have a chance to aim. I just pulled it out and put it right here. I shot him twice in the gut. And then um, the other deputy, Scotty, he fired twice. And the first one it ended up hitting him in the aorta of his heart we found out later and the second round when he had his arms up in the air hit his arm came out this arm went in the other arm and came out the other arm oh. you know what i mean exit and exit sure. so when they were doing the autopsy on the guy one of the me guys told me later they said well everybody was saying well you guys said you only shot this many times but there were more bullet holes he says and then it dawned on me I put his hands together, and I tied his hands up and held his arm up, and we ran a steel rod through the holes, and that showed that he was in exactly the same location just like this when you shot him. So it was a good shoot. I wasn't really worried about it, but it was nerve-wracking because you had to go in and talk to homicide guys that you knew. Then you had to go to the grand jury. Then the homicide guys read us our rights. I never had that happen before. I'm one of the good guys. Right. And it was really nerve-wracking. And uh, the other two guys involved in the thing, they were scared. We called the FOP attorney. And um, um, we said, we're not going to give you a statement. The, hom- the lawyer said, listen, just give one statement. You're going to have to give it to the grand jury. If you give them a statement and then a statement to the grand jury, if it's even just a little bit off, it's going to make those civilians go, hmm, yeah, something's not right. what's going on here? Well, then the detectives went down the hall, came back, came inside, and said, well, the captain says if you don't give us a statement, you're fired for failed to be. Gotcha. Now, when you got up that morning, you, it was a regular day, regular day at work. And, uh, uh, you're just driving down the road. You're not expecting to get this kind of call, you know? Right. Did Garrity not exist back then? Oh, yeah, uh, it did, yes. But, and that's why the lawyer told me, he said, anyway, they read your rights. You're right, so give them a statement. They're not going to get it in court anyway. Um, but, um, and you're right, what you were talking about earlier, you know, in this job, your adrenaline goes from zero 
just driving around, taking it easy, listening to the radio, mm -hmm. so boom, through the roof. Yeah. Because next thing you know, you're around the corner, down the street, and you're battling with some guy with a gun, or a, you know, and the bullets are whizzing by you, and that kind of stuff, you know, that's where you. That's what it is, you never, you never know what you're gonna be doing for one minute to the next. I mean, one minute everything's nice and calm, and, and you could be bored out of your mind. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes uh, they say, be careful what you wish for. You, you open up, boy, it's quiet. I wish something would happen. Yeah. The next thing you know, I never it happens. You wish it, yeah. Yeah. Never use the key word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember back in New York, as you say, if you were working with somebody, oh, you know, wow, the radio is really quiet tonight. Oh, man. And they Don't say, say what that. What did you say that for? <laughs> oh. Yeah. You, you'd hope to uh, break up the monotony. I want to remind everybody that the uh, phone lines are open. And if you'd like to call in, it's 954-210-5413. Feel free to call into Copservations. We'll take any questions that you might have. So needless to say that the gentleman with the table leg died that day on the double yellow line. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know how many times, Danny, uh, how many times people have asked you throughout your police career, hey, did you ever shoot anybody? You know, you ever shoot anybody? You go to an <laughs> elementary school, and that's the first thing those little kids ask you. Yeah. Did you ever shoot anybody? Yeah. And you look at them, and you, and you don't want to lie. You say, yeah. And then, of course, the next question is, did you kill him? <laughs> and the teacher's looking at you like. Horrified, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You talk about the elementary schools. When my kids were young, I used to go up to uh, parent day. And I'd go in my police uniform. I'd bring coloring books for the kids, and I'd bring up my bulletproof vest. And uh, I explained everything. I'd let them touch things on the gun belt. And afterwards, there was always an uh, answering question session. And yeah, can I see your gun? No, I never had that. <laughs> I've I had that. Yeah. I never had that, but I remember one of the kids raised a hand. And uh, I said, yeah, hey, what's, what's going on? He says, oh, my mother smokes marijuana. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right, yeah. And I, I remember looking at the teacher, and she looked at me, and I was like, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sure mom would want to you know, divulging that information. <laughs> yeah, I had one of those one time, and the kid says to me, my daddy beats my mama up all the time. Oh, man. I'm like, oh, bro. <laughs> and he got arrested. He's in jail right now. I'd be like, I look at the teacher, and she'd be like, yeah. What they say? Out of the mouths of babes? Mm. Yeah. It's true. Mm. Gary, I know years later, your, your brother, your younger brother, Jimmy, had followed in your, in your footsteps. And, uh, you know, part, part of the job is we go to work as, as police officers and we say goodbye to our families in the morning and never really knowing if we're going to come home or not. Yeah. You know, statistics, are, you know, most, most of the days are uneventful and we get through our eight hours, 10 hours, or 12 hour tours. Um, but there are times where, hey, you say goodbye and, th and that's the last time. That's the last time. I think our profession is one of the few professions that when you leave for work, everybody tells you, hey, be safe. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to the store to get a sandwich, and I'll have a conversation with people, hey, stay safe. Yeah. Nobody tells the doctor, hey, stay safe. <laughs> um, it, and we know we accept it when we take this profession. Nobody's taking this profession to uh, get rich or, or, or live the high life. Um, you, know, you get some people say, oh, well, what? I became a cop. I, you know, everybody says, I, I want to change the world. I want to make the world a better place. I know when I did it, it was a steady paycheck. It was great benefits. It was a retirement. I had a retirement. Yeah. And that was it. And I went to work every day knowing what I had to risk in order to gain that. You know? Well, they, they got to give us something to do this job. Well, I mean, this is the hardest job in the world. And those benefits, if they didn't give us those, 
Oh, what will we have yeah, left? You know what they say, you'll never be rich and you'll never be poor right. as a cop. You know, it's funny, years ago, I, I well, even, even recently, I guess when some of the cities were going through uh, economic hardships, the question was, well, what, why, did, why did they get pensions? Why did the police get pensions? We don't get pensions. You know, why, why should they get pensions? Hmm. Yeah. And those are the same ones when times are good, they're laughing at us. Oh, my 401k is, I got $5 million, and look at those <laughs> dumbasses with pensions. Exactly, exactly. Now, your brother Jimmy followed you in your footsteps. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I know we, we go back a long time, and I remember talking talk to you about the story, and you tell me uh, when you became a police officer, you, you picked him up, you had a, gotten this police car that you were proud to have, but in reality it was a real old jalopy, something like that, and, and picked your brother up. You, <laughs> tell us about that story. Well, <clears throat> when uh, I think what got me hooked on uh, police work was that uh, <clears throat> I started hanging around the Arkansas State Police I grew up in Arkansas, and I, I started hanging around the state police headquarters. And <clears throat> my foster brother uh, at the time was a dispatcher for them. Hey, you know, let me uh, put you on hold for one second. I believe we have a call. Okay, good. Hello, Hi, uh, this is Tina. I'm calling from New York, and I just had a couple of questions for both Rob and Gary. Hey, Tina, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I actually do have a uh, relative on the job, and I have a nephew that is um, looking to uh, join the job. And I was just wondering um, how dangerous you feel the job is and if you ever worry about relatives. Abs absolutely. Um, it, it definitely has its moments. Um, like, like I said earlier, you never know from one moment to the next what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, there are times where none of my children followed me in my footsteps and I was kind of happy because of the dangers and the things that I see. It's also the climate of uh, feelings that people have for police officers today. It's changed tremendously. When I started, I started in 1984. And when I started, I remember people telling me, hey, you're crazy, the job has changed. And I, I had a great time, I had a great career, but I, I see it, the respect isn't there for the police officers. Um, and, and that starts at home. Um, it's, it's a great job. I, I love it. I would think twice if, if my son had wanted to get into this line of work today, just with today's climate. Tell him to become a fireman. <laughs> Fireman's a good job. What agencies are they looking at? Tina? Uh, I think Tina, we, we think we lost Tina. We think we lost Tina. Okay, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where was I? But Jimmy, you picked up, picking up your car. Oh yeah, yeah. I, so anyway, uh, um, when I was hanging around with the state police, I saw those troopers there, those big old tall guys, those fancy uniforms, and and I was a kid, and I thought to myself, man, if I could be like those guys, I'd be re really respected in the community. I'd be somebody special, you know. And then after I got out of the police academy, I came home with this old <clears throat> 1970 Oldsmobile with a hundred thousand miles on it. And uh, <clears throat> you have to spin the light around to get it. <laughs> yeah, I had one single light in the in the hood, you know. And, and so, uh, my he wanted my little brother was about twelve. He wanted to go for a ride, and I put him in the car and took him for a ride. And I put the overhead lights on, and I let him put on the siren and play with it and everything. And we got we got back to the house, and he was like so impressed. And he looked at me and he said, "Man, if I could be like you, Gary." I thought, well, that's what I said, you know. 
and uh, he got into police work. He became a uh, a police cadet in the Cooper City Police Department, and then he went off to the military and became an MP, and did a great job there. He got some medals for saving people and doing stuff, yeah. and then he um, came back and went to work for Cooper City and became a detective, and then he switched over to uh, Palm Beach Sheriff's Office. And yeah, he worked up there. Hold that thought. The lines are blowing up. We're getting calls. Just oh, me, good. Let me take this one call here. Hello, Patrick. You're on the air. Uh, Robert Lerman, Patrick Gilly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Pat? Good. I, I thought I'd just tell you, you know, uh, it's a great job. I, I miss it. You're right that it's a young man's job. But, you know, it's also a very funny job. Uh, I was going to run through two or three little quick stories about the job itself, if, if I can. Absolutely, Pat. Well, it, you know, it's true what you say about running towards danger. I remember I was two weeks out of the academy. It's a hey, beautiful Pat, let me Saturday. interrupt you, Pat. You're, you're yeah. a retired police officer from uh, New oh, York, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, from New York City. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'm in Bensonhurst Saturday. What was it? 86th Street was that big shopping uh, street, I believe. Um, two weeks out of the academy, and somebody comes running by me screaming, he's got a gun. And as I walk <laughs> towards this location, hundreds of people, it's a Saturday in Benjamin, are running by me screaming, and my body is saying, run with them. And I, I knew I couldn't. And a long story short, it, it was a robbery in progress, and an off-duty policeman got involved. And I'm in uniform, and nothing that I learned in the academy is in play here. I have no cover. I'm an easy target. I'm not asking the right question. He's fighting with the perp for the, the gun. He turns to me once or twice with the gun. Thank God I never shot him. And at one point I said to him, you pointed at me again. I will shoot you. And thank God everything went well, worked out. When it was over, I could not speak. And he had to take my radio and uh, transmit, you know, the necessary things for people to respond. And uh, he took the arrest, and he, he was upset with me, and I can understand that. And I heard the sergeant say to him, you're lucky he didn't shoot you. And, <laughs> and I'm not putting any blame on him. But I remember my sergeant came up to me and said, do you want to go home? And, and I did, but I knew I couldn't. And uh, they took me back out there, and they dropped me on the street. And as soon as I got dropped on the street, some little Italian lady in the store Opens up the door. She's like, are you all right? Are you all right? I'm like, yes. And, and they fed me. <laughs> and, and I left that store. And the next door, come in, come in, sit down. Are you okay? And they fed me. <laughs> so the, the rest of the day, I was going from hey, store hey, Pat, to store. Pat, they didn't uh, yeah. say, take a chicken, you schmuck. <laughs> they didn't say that, did they? <laughs> no, no. But, you know, it, it's a great job. And, you know, uh, uh, I just want to mention, if I can, I saw a lot of great, lot of great policemen. I, I, I was an average at best. I, I did the best I could, but you see so many great cops. And, and one guy, may rest in peace, Thomas Clark. I remember he, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, Bob. Yep. Him and his partner were in a project, and his partner got put in a headlock by a guy with a gun. And uh, Tommy Clark, who was a great policeman, I mean, an incredible cop uh, took the shot and uh, dropped the uh, perp and saved his partner's life. 
Yeah, I remember that. He, uh, uh, they I, awarded him the Medal of Valor for that. Right. And he was such a great guy and a great cop. And when I, when the, my precinct was kind enough and promoted me to detective, um, he called me. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I knew him. I worked with him for years. And I couldn't believe Tommy Clark was taking the time out to call me and congratulate me. And I remember at the end of the conversation, I said, Tommy Clark, do not take the shot. But, yeah, great guy, great job. And uh, later on, uh, real quick, and, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, all this stuff just bounces off you. You know what I mean? And uh, one day I was solo patrol. I was doing late prints. Uh, Saturday morning, one comes over, a uh, guy with a gun over in Bright. And uh, I see him. But now I come up behind him on the street. I'm, I am perfect. Not from the two weeks in the academy. I am perfect. My tactics cannot be beat. I am in the best situation possible. And he stops. And he looks over his shoulder, and I know what he's thinking. And I tell him, don't do it. I am, I am perfect. As soon as you move towards me, you're getting it. You know, he has to turn to me. I am in the perfect spot. And this goes back and forth where he just looks at me and looks back. And I say to him two or three times, don't do it. You know? <laughs> now, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to gun standoff with someone. And I'll never forget it, two Chinese people come walking right between us. You know, talking like we weren't even there. Just came walking right across. And thankfully, a sector came up the other way, and he was taken into custody without incident. But um, I just my last two things is, uh, you know, they do say that uh, courage is what? When you're scared to death and you saddle up anyway. And, uh, you know, I think that's that job for sure, you know, and... Uh, and we say to people that ask you things, you, you just do it. You, you, you know, if this is it, I hate to say it like that, if this is it, this is it. You, 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 we've all had those runs, and we've had numerous of them. That's it. This is it. Let's go. But uh, in my last is uh, about Bobby Lerner himself, and it's a great story. <laughs> He's going to teach me and my partner. Bobby Lerner is a great guy to have an interrogation room. I mean, just listen to him here tonight. He's a uh, Talks very nicely. He's intelligent. He's calm. He, he knows how to talk to people. Pat, you make so anyway, my gonna... <laughs> well, We don't need any of that. Well, he's going to take us into the room. Yeah, don't get his head too big. Huh? <laughs> well, he's going to teach us how to talk to this burglary suspect. But he said, "Listen, if you guys are going off the course, I I, I want to go. I'm going to ask you if Mr. Peterson called." <laughs> Okay, long story short, Bobby starts the thing. It's going, but now we got questions. Uh, me and my partner, we're shooting off 10,000 questions to this guy. And actually, he was probably going to go, did this mean the boy? Hey, hey, but Pat, this, uh, Pat, yeah. I love you. Uh, Mr. Peterson yeah. is calling. <laughs> All right. I will start to like, I'm just saying, the thing is, it can be a really funny job, too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. A lot of laughs, yeah. Pat. Thanks for calling. I appreciate All it. All right. Good luck with you. Okay, bye. 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 Hello, Tina. I'm back. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you're back, and I'm sorry you had to hold on for so long, but welcome back. I'm, I'm Mr. Peterson. Okay. There you go. You're, no, you're, you're Mrs. Peterson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so where were we? Um, when we lost I was, you. I, yeah, I got disconnected, but I was listening to their advice about, um, you know, family on the job. Right. It's, uh, 
<laughs> it's a rough time at police work right now. Yeah, you know, they say it's like a pendulum. Yeah. And eventually the pendulum swings back. It comes in peaks and valleys. Yeah. And 9-11, we were all heroes, and now we're all zeros. <clears throat> yeah. That was that was definitely a rough time here in, in uh, New York. It was definitely. And it's it still stings all these years later. Sure. So it's a little nerve-wracking uh, when you have young family members looking to follow in the footsteps, but it's, it's definitely brave. Where, um, where, where in New York are you calling from? Um, I'm on Long Island. Okay. And you have family on the job now? I do. And where are they? In Florida. Okay. Yep. Good place to be. I remember uh, you know, when I started down here in Florida, I, I had left. I actually missed 9-11 by a few months. We came down in August of 2001 uh, due to personal reasons. And, um, gosh, I was down here. Just I just missed 9-11. Just, just missed it. And um, I had gotten a call probably about two years later from one of the young guys who worked in my, in my precinct. And he said, mm -hmm. to me, he said to me, hey, listen, you know, I'm thinking about coming down to Florida to uh, go into law enforcement down there. What do you think? And as I watched the palm trees blowing by and looking at the sunshine, I said to him, if you don't do it, you're out, you're out of your mind. Because at the time, he didn't have that much time invested. Um, right. So it was definitely, you know, in my opinion, it was just a much better place to do the job. The atmosphere was much nicer. And salary-wise, we, we were comparable. We were comparable at the time because of the... Uh, way the taxes were there was no state or city tax um, so you know it was a no-brainer you know um, <clears throat> Tina this is Gary um, if you have relatives that really want to get on the job you're probably not going to be able to stop them because it's more of a calling mm -hmm. than a job right. absolutely and, and uh, one of my favorite um, uh, Bible verses that I used on the job actually a lot of times, but it says that uh, in the Bible it says about the policeman that for he is the minister of God to thee <clears throat> for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain. And uh, that's the way I looked at police work. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't try to stop him. I think it's admirable. Um, you know, I'll definitely pray for him. I, I, Religion is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I think, you know, not only here in New York were we definitely affected by 9/11, but everyone, everywhere, um, and it's it's a danger everywhere. Yep. So you know, I'm I definitely thank everyone everywhere for their service. You know, in in all of the fields, not just in police work, firefighters, paramedics. You know the armed forces, everything. So well, your just first want to responders. call in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. First responders. You know they're the front line. They go out and check it out first. And uh, I just wanted to call in, say thank you. You know, see what your thoughts were, and um, just give an appreciative call. Great, thank you, Tina. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, hey, Gary. Yes. Let's get through this story with with Jimmy. We'll try. Okay. So. We were, where'd we leave off? Um, <clears throat> he uh, got to work for the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office. There we go. Yeah. We're back. Um, so, Jimmy, he, um, <clears throat> he was a great guy. Um, he was the kind of guy that had an infectious smile and laughter. And when he laughed, it made everybody else laugh. <clears throat> he was a big muscle-bound guy. He was a bodybuilder. And... <clears throat> 
he was working for uh, PBSO, <clears throat> and he talked us into uh, my whole family into moving up to the Palm Beach at the time. You you were living in Broward. <clears throat> yeah. Up until then. It was um, August of nine. Well, he was killed in August of eighty nine, but it was somewhere in there eighty nine we were up Palm Beach touring the housing and area and. <clears throat> he was showing us around, so uh, I had uh, quit the sheriff's office at the time, and I tried to make it in the finance world just to get more money for my family. Um, <clears throat> things didn't work out so good. It did for about a year or two, but then a little bit later on it slowed down. And and um, uh, he had sold me on going to work for the sheriff's office. He was like, oh, man, listen— PBSO is really growing. We're behind you guys a lot, but boy, you come to work up here someday. We're going to be colonels, me and you, and it's you know we're going to be running the show. And, right. and so I said, well, you know, I 14 years with Broward at the time. I said I'm I might as well go because I'm not there now. So um, I put in for an application, got everything done. Um, I was uh, actually negotiating my salary. I was hired pretty much, you know. But I was just negotiating my salary with the bosses at PBSO at the time. <clears throat> and um, because I had experience, you know, and sure. he had sold them on I was such a great cop. It was probably Best all lies, but, you know, Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so um, I, I actually I went up and rode with him on patrol one time. And afterwards, I told him, I said, man, I'm so impressed. You're such a good cop, you know. Well, he, he, he learned from uh, he learned from the best. Yeah, right. The police academy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And uh, so anyway, um, on the afternoon that he got killed, I called him up and wanted to ask him something about the job and what you know how PBSO did things or something. And he said to me, "Listen," he goes, um, "They'll issue you a vest, a bulletproof vest." He goes, you damn sure better wear it up here, too. You hear me? I said, yeah, okay, I will. Don't worry about it. And this is, you had already had 14 years of experience. Yeah. And he had how many at this point? Oh, I don't know. Quite a few. Okay. Not nowhere near that. Right. Five, maybe. So he, um, so I, I said, oh, okay. And, and fortunately, when I hung up, I told him, I love you, Jimmy. And... Two and a half, three hours later, he was dead. So you're talking about go, leaving home and them saying, uh, "Stay safe," because you never know. Well, you just never know. Right. And you said, "You said I love you for the last time." Yeah. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Or? Thank God I did. Right. But um, he, um, on that day, he got a call um, out in the uh, in the acreage in Palm Beach, which is like horse ranches and all that kind of stuff. And um, at the time, there weren't hardly any deputies. I think they had one deputy out there, and it was him. And uh, it was a pretty big area. And they called a deputy from the Parks Department, from the Parks Division, to go back him up. And it was a, uh, a Myers Act where they had a court order to take an alcoholic in for, for treatment. treatment. Okay. So... Uh, they interviewed the wife at the Royal Palm Beach Police Department, and she told him that um, she had this court order and that he had rifles and that he had shot all the family pets. He had shot and killed his neighbor's hogs. 
he shot and killed an alligator in the backyard but he chased his daughter down the street naked with a butcher knife and he was just a alcoholic redneck she's out of control yeah so so they went to the house and uh there were only two deputies back in those days that's just the way it was and uh, and there were times when i went on calls like this all by myself in the early days it's just you were the man you had to do it uh the one deputy went around the back of the house jimmy took the front of the house and they parked their cars down the street so they could sneak up on him kind of and he wouldn't see their cars and um because they were worried about the rifle right so Jimmy goes to the front. He told the dispatcher, call this guy on the phone. Tell him we're outside. We want to talk to him. He's not in any trouble. Just come out and talk to us. So the dispatcher called him and told him. And he said to the dispatcher, and I know all this because I listened to the tapes and the detectives, homicide guys, and everything. they told me everything. So... Um, and he said, your deputy's outside now? And she said, yes, sir. And he hung up the phone. So they waited for a little bit and said for her to call him again because he didn't come out. She called him, told him they're outside, they'd like to talk to you. And he said, your deputy's dead and hung up the phone. And she didn't know, nobody knew it, whether he had already shot him or if he had was planning to right. but uh, the, the the front of the house was shaded and Jimmy was hiding behind a jeep out front and the guy had a 30-30 rifle and he was inside and it was like the doorway to the kitchen was right in line with the front doorway and he had the door open a little bit and there was a screen but he could see Jimmy and Jimmy couldn't see him he already come to the door with a rifle earlier, and Jimmy yelled at him to drop it. Right. But now he couldn't see him, and he had the bead. He could see his head behind the, the transparent cover on the Jeep, and he just waited, and when he, Jimmy just looked out to see if he could see, and he shot him right between the eyes. One shot, boom, that was it. So it was, uh, it was all over. The deputy in the back tried to... Tried to sliding glass door but you know how they get all sticky in these houses where they don't sure. use so much and finally he just said well I, I just yanked the door real hard and jumped in on him with his gun and he didn't know that Jimmy had been shot at the time he just heard the gunshot yeah and uh, he told him to put his hands up on the stove cover and he did and then he turned around and grabbed his gun and knocked it out of his hand and the two of them fought on the floor and he finally got him handcuffed thank god he didn't get killed so um they called to him on the radio and told him to go check on Jimmy because he wasn't answering his radio. And he, the guy would not get up. He refused to get up. So he had to drag him out the back sliding glass door all the way around to the front yard. And when he got there, of course, he saw my brother sure. laying there dead. And uh, it was pretty sad. Um, so it, it, it's really um, sad because when the deputy... Um, who came when he showed up at the funeral his partner that night he showed up at the funeral two, guy, two deputies had to hold him up and bring him in to view the body 
It was terrible. And when he viewed the body, he just passed out. Sure. So were you on duty at the time? No, I was uh, I was at home. The, the night he got killed, Jimmy's captain and uh, his lieutenant flew down in a helicopter at the PBSO's helicopter and got uh, picked up by the city police and came to my house to notify us. And uh, when so they showed up at the door, is it something? You, you know something My was wife strong. was home alone, and they she knew... But she called me and told me, hey, come home, because I was out doing a couple of appointments. And she said, come home. Uh, and I was arguing with her, why come home? I, I got to go to this guy's house. What is it about? And what's? And she wouldn't tell me because they had told her don't t- say anything to sure. him. And then next thing you know, this captain grabbed the phone from her. Right. And he told me who he was and said, just come home, son. And, but I knew. That was it. Yeah, at that I knew. point. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, absolutely. But, but, the, but the funny thing uh, the deputy um, that was with Jimmy that day, we saw him years later at uh, the dog track. He was working an off-duty detail. See if I can get through this one without choking up. And my two girls were kind of young then, and they said to him, what happened that day? And he gave them a real short version of what happened. And uh, he said, the funny thing is, is that my son was born later on, and uh, he was born on the same day that Jimmy was killed. Wow. And that every, he, his son came to him finally when he was about 10 years old or so and said to him, Daddy, why are you crying on my birthday every year? Wow. And he said to him, well, I got a story to tell you. Have a seat some story some story and I know every year you and the family they are at the police memorial in Palm Beach County yeah and it's a, it's a solemn and unfortunately it's it's a big production and uh, you know it's just one, one of those things it's a shame that every year that we keep adding more and more people to the lists throughout the country they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah I think back in uh, God, I had done research years ago, and I think it was somewhere around 2004 at that time. There were over 17,000 police officers that had been killed in the line of duty um, throughout the years. And, and then they wonder why why they give us benefits and pensions. Yeah. Please. Exactly. But anyway, after that, I was kind of unemployed. And <laughs> I... So I uh, you, you, you know, I, I took Jimmy to our family plot in Kansas City. We had another police funeral up there. Cause I have a couple of cousins that are cops and real nice funeral. And then I came down here, and Nick Navarro was the sheriff at the time, and he called me and said, hey, uh, I heard you're going to work for Palm Beach, but don't do that. Come see me first. So I promised him I would, and he hired me back that day and gave me all my benefits back like I never left. Nice. My seniority, everything. Like like you never left. Wow. He so was I, a cop's cop. He was that kind of guy. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him once, but the first time I had seen him, I was, I was still working in New York City, and they had come out with the show Cops. And I remember watching Cops, and there was this one episode where I think it was a drug raid, and he actually had the uh, one of the drug dealers was on the floor laying face down, and Nick Navarro had his foot on his back with his gun in his hand. And I remember looking and saying, wow, this guy's crazy. I said, but I, I, th- I thought he was great. I said, this, this guy's great. And, you know, going back to cops, like Broward County is the, uh, 
agency that really made that show take off. And I remember the, watching the episodes and the guys were carrying the uh, nunchucks. And I remember watching it. I said, wow, they would, this would never fly in New York. You no. Weren't, you weren't even allowed to carry a knife. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, so. We carried everything. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's when the Broward Sheriff's Office was uh, really accredited and at its peak. Mm -hmm. And everybody was just so proud. And Nick made things for all of us so proud to be there. And I went to uh, the police memorial the year after Jimmy was killed. And I was in the FOP Lodge Hall 1. And uh, these Boston, I think they were state troopers from Massachusetts, or they were Boston cops, I can't remember. And we got to talking, and they said, hey, uh, where are you from, kid? And I said, uh, Broward County. And they were like, what? Holy sh are you kidding me? Dude, I couldn't buy a beer the rest of the night. I mean, I just, they wouldn't let me, just because I was from Broward County. But it's not like that now. Gotcha. Well, times change. Times change, and... Uh Time we're, we're at about. I, I believe we're at about that time. Um, you know, just to reform what the show is going to be about. It's going to be about the past, present, and future things that are happening in, in law enforcement. Um, we're also going to be dedicating uh, or memorializing officers that have been killed in the line of duty. And uh, on today's date, back in 2017 like to pay tribute to uh, police officer Robert Summers, who was a 20-year veteran of the New York City Police Department, who passed away from cancer-related 911 illness. Uh, unfortunately, what's going on now with 911, I mean, it's, it's in the news every day, with trying to keep the funding going for, for these, you know, first responders. And it's not only first responders that are uh, succumbing to 9-11. It's average citizens were out there trying to clear the rubble, too, when it happened. Abso abso absolutely. My and nephew... My nephew was one of those guys who got leukemia. He was a cop, and he went down there afterwards to direct traffic and help out. And then he got, fortunately, he's still alive, and he got a bone transplant, thank God. But Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, like I said, I came down here in August of 2001, so I, I just missed it by weeks. And where I lived, I lived in Staten Island. And they say everything happens for a reason. If I had still been in New York, um, I was in close proximity to the Arthur Kill facility where they were bringing a lot of the refuse and they were sifting through uh, everything, the rubble looking for body parts and everything else. And uh, logistically, I think I would have been assigned there every single day because I literally could have walked there. And God knows what I might have come down with. Right. So they say uh, everything happens for a reason. So on that somber note. So on that somber note, uh, I want to thank you, Gary. Uh, you're special. You're always special to me. Uh, but you're even more special because you're the first guest yeah, on the first episode. Thanks and for inviting me. Thank, thank you, you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. I, I, I know uh, it's not easy to talk about sometimes, and I, and I really appreciate it. And uh, God bless you, your family, and uh, Jimmy. Amen. And uh, that's about it. Guys, so we will uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.